Hey, good morning again. And here we begin. If you've got a, a Bible with you, or device, or some way, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 19 to 25. And as we prepare our hearts, let's ask the Lord's help. Father, last few moments here at camp, our minds are easily distracted by a number of things. No least among them, the beautiful weather, the memories, and the tasks that wait for us at home. But Lord, just for a moment, Holy Spirit of the living God, would you focus our attention, our thoughts here upon your word for the sake of your kingdom, the good of our souls, and the good of our brothers and sisters through us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's Word. My goal this morning is to convince you that God is calling you to faithfully engage His people on a regular basis for the purpose of encouragement. And so I want to talk about what encouragement is and how it is we're called to do it. And so first of all, let's just think about what encouragement is. Our English word encourage means to put courage in someone, right? In courage. That's not bad. You know, it kind of tells us what we want to see happen, but it, it doesn't really tell us how. And, and so let's go just a little deeper. The, the Greek word encourage, uh, parakaleo, gives a, a, little, a little richer picture of how we need to go about this. Parakaleo uh, pictures calling someone, that's the kaleo part, calling someone to your side, para, that's the side part, uh, to, to sit with you, if you can imagine, with your arm around them, to, to speak to them, uh, to encourage, to exhort, which this word also means. It, it pictures a, a personal involvement in giving comfort, exhortation, uh, encouragement, both in your words and in your actions. And so first of all, just notice that it is verbal. You're speaking words of gospel truth to strengthen and comfort a brother or sister. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Uh, there are words involved. In fact, turn to that one if you don't mind. First Corinth, First Timothy, First uh, Thessalonians, uh, four eighteen. First Thessalonians four eighteen. You remember, if you know that passage, uh, 
Uh, th- this is where uh, Paul is speaking to Christians who have lost family and friends to death and some knuckleheads have told them that they're just gone, that you're never going to see them again. And so Paul wants to remind them that when we lose someone in the Lord, they are not gone forever because Christ is going to return. And when Christ returns in glorious victory, He's going to call those saints up out of their graves and so we will always be together in the Lord. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll begin at verse 15 just by way of reminder. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. In death, he means. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. Then he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Take these words of gospel truth, sit down beside your grieving brother or sister, bring comfort to them through the Holy Spirit. And part of that comfort is speaking these words of reminder in their ear. Let these life-giving gospel words bring comfort and grace into their life. That's, that's encouragement. It's taking these life-giving words of gospel truth and communicating them to each other in a way that brings comfort, life, and hope to a brother or sister who needs them. Second, it is putting forth an effort to help build up a brother or sister in their faith in Christ. Just look across the page at 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. And again, notice the context is gospel truth. First. Thessalonians 5, uh, let me just start in verse 8. You'll hear the gospel. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, praise the Lord, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking to believers here, Christ who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with Him. And then he says, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Take these words of gospel truth with actions of grace and help your brother and sister grow firm in their faith. And you notice there's an intentionality here. This, this is something that you and I are called to be intentional about. Something that, that, that we intend to do, that we're looking to do. We, we look for opportunities to build each other up in faith and help each other stand firm in Christ. And so encouragement involves intentional words and efforts to help a brother or sister stand firm and keep growing in Christ. And that is something that we are called to do for one another on a regular basis. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us... I'm sorry, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. So that brings us back to Hebrews 10. And so thinking about our calling to look for ways to encourage one another in our walk with Christ, let me show you three things. First... I want you to see that we have a very strong foundation for encouraging one another in the gospel of Christ. 
Listen to it again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. Listen to this with the, with the ear of faith. Right, Hear what he's saying. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God that we've just been singing about, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, mean, if you're a believer in Christ and you're not tempted to dance just a little bit, When you hear that, (laughs) I mean, listen to what he's telling you is yours in Christ. Confidence to enter that most holy of places where God's glory dwells. Access to God in your time of need through the ministry of our perfect high priest. An open invitation to draw near in full assurance that you're going to be accepted, not rejected as your sins deserve, but accepted. I mean, that's something saints and prophets longed for in the Old Covenant era, but were denied in its fullness until Christ came. The assurance that your sins are forgiven. Your heart is sprinkled clean. Your conscience is clear. You've been washed, loved, welcomed into the presence of God forever, not by works that you've done, but by faith in God's perfect Son, our High Priest and Savior, Jesus Christ. It just doesn't get any better than that. And all of that is ours through Him. And if if it's not yours, it can be yours by turning in repentance and faith and trusting Him. This is what the Gospel brings us. Hebrews 4 verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, you ought to be dancing just a little bit, at least on the inside. And so the gospel of Christ is the foundation that we need to encourage our own hearts in every situation, but also to encourage one another. And second, that means that we then have a sure hope in Christ that is worth holding on to. Look at verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. But because this gospel is what encourages us and strengthens us to stand firm, it's worth holding on to. And by holding on to, He means holding in your mind and in your heart, holding by faith and thinking about it regularly. Right? Uh, Pushing out other stuff from your mind so that you can focus on this, who Christ is and what He's done. Because one of the big problems you and I face in this culture today is all the other stuff that wants to dominate your thinking and hold your attention. We've never lived in such an era before where, where there's so much. You say, well, there was distraction in the past. No, there are people with, with PhDs who are designing methods to hold your attention onto a screen so that you don't go do something else. I mean, there, there are people who are studying you. And so we are, we are captivated. We are held by these things. And, our, and so our minds are just swimming with stuff. Right? Some of it important, 
most of it not. You know, what's the latest news? Did you hear what Pelosi said today? Wow, did you read this Facebook post? Have you seen this movie? Or have you played this game? Or, you know, I've been thinking about this all day. And and we just find our minds just captivated by this stuff 24-7 so that there honestly is very little room in our minds to think about Christ and what He's done for us. There's very little moments in the day free enough for us to stop and let the reality of the gospel strengthen and encourage us in the face of this, this tidal wave of stuff that's hitting us in the face every single moment. I mean, do you, do you understand? We are in the midst of a secular tsunami today. I mean, you, you who are younger may not even be as aware of it because it just seems normal to you. It's what you've always known. But, but we're, we're, in a, we're in an unprecedented time of this secular tsunami with, with forces and thoughts and ideas that are contrary to Scripture or, or just plain empty and meaningless being hurled at us constantly. And so that unless you are consciously holding fast to the truth of Christ, this wash of ideas and values will overwhelm your mind and drive the reality and truth of Christ. You need to be encouraged right out of your head. We face that constantly. And that's why he says to us, hold fast. Get a grip on the confession of our hope without wavering. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And keep thinking about what you believe and why you believe it. Because in order to stand firm in this culture with the hope of the gospel, you and I must be intentional about finding ways to let this gospel be firmly planted in our minds and hearts so that we are not only saying we believe it in some sort of yes, I believe, but we are actively, consciously believing it daily. This, by the way, is the importance of a daily time in God's Word and prayer. I'm not saying that's all you need, but I'm saying at bare minimum, that's what you need. <laughs> Getting in God's Word to speak to Him and hear, making that a priority. Is that a priority with you? Because it really, really does need to be. Thinking about the content of the Gospel as you preach the Gospel to yourself and share it with others on a regular basis. I mean, just think about that. How often, how often through the week do you think about the gospel of Christ and all He's done and why it matters? That is the confession of our hope He's talking about here. Knowing and thinking about the hope we have in the gospel. Consciously having it in your mind and in your mouth. Right? Repeating it to yourself and to others. In fact, notice, and this is very important, this holding fast and confessing is something that is done together as believers, not just alone. See those words, let us? Let us. What does that tell you? It tells you this isn't something you're out doing all by yourself. This is something we as Christians are doing together. In other words... You can't hold fast your confession against the tsunami waves of this culture without others helping you. You can't do this alone. Any any more than you could win at tug-of-war all by yourself yesterday. By the way, I had to miss it. Who won (laughs) tug-of-war? Girl. 
But think about this. To win at tug-of-war, not only must you hold fast yourself, but others must be holding fast with you. To win at tug-of-war, you need others standing with you and standing beside you and pulling together and encouraging you, come on, come on, pull, pull. Do you understand that is a picture of the Christian life as we share together? We must pull together. It's you and me holding fast, cheering each other on, pulling together and saying, Come on! Come on! We can do this! We can make it because Christ has assured us we will make it. In fact, look how we know we'll make it. He doesn't just say, hey, pull together. You guys get out there and do it. Hope, hope it works out. Look at the end of verse 23. because I, I, He always puts little gospel things like this in there. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How do we know it's going to work out? For He who promised is faithful. There's the gospel again. Which brings us into this third thing we find here. And this really is my main point. This is what I've kind of been wanting to get to. We then have a calling to think hard about how to intentionally encourage each other daily. Verse 24 and 25, And let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. First of all, notice, we must be intentional in our encouragement or it probably isn't going to happen. Let us consider, he says, right? What's that mean? What, let us think about. Let me give thought to how I'm going to do this. You know what that means? It means that normally encouragement doesn't just happen automatically. Oh, I know there are times that it does. There are times that you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and, and say or do the right thing to encourage somebody. But you know, that's simply the Holy Spirit being really gracious to you despite yourself. Most of the time, encouragement takes place because someone decided to be an encourager. You've made yourself available to the Holy Spirit. You've said, Lord, use me to strengthen someone else today. Uh, to put it in the negative, if you're not looking for ways to encourage others, you're probably not encouraging others. It, it's a matter of intentionality, of, of determining, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I, I, I'm going to do. This is my mindset. Is this your mindset? Do you come together with fellow believers saying, Lord, please use me in someone else's life. Please help me see the brother that needs encouragement and bring it. Did you come to camp thinking that way? Or was it all about what I'm going to get done, the fun I'm going to have? The intentionality. I think, really, we see an example of that in the New Testament that made the difference in a certain point between the Apostle Paul and his friend Barnabas in Acts 15. Many of you know this passage, right? Do you remember this passage? Do you remember Barnabas? What does Barnabas' name, or really it's his nickname, his name's Joseph, what does his nickname mean? Barnabas? Son of encouragement. Wow! Wouldn't you love to have a nickname like that? What kind of man he must have been? But this is, this is who he was. This is what he did. Every time we see him in the New Testament, he's got his arm around somebody, drawing them in, helping them fix their eyes on Jesus, and walk with him and serve him better. And so we have this famous scene in Acts 15 where Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on a second mission endeavor. 
And Paul's mind, as it often is, I'm sure, uh, is all on the logistics of it. Where are we going? What are we going to do? What are we going to say when we get there? How are we going to do it? But Barney's mind is on John Mark. Remember John Mark, this young man who'd gone with them on their first journey and failed miserably, abandoned them mid-trip, ran home to mom. And no doubt at this point, Mark is feeling discouraged. He's doubting his call to serve Christ. Maybe if God could ever use him again. Barnabas says to Paul, Hey, let's take Mark with us. We just pick up the account. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them in the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers in the grace of the Lord. I mean, this is one of those very human moments in Scripture, isn't it? A reminder to us that these, these are real people, not plastic saints. But what made the difference in this particular scene? Again, I think it has to do with Barnabas's mindset to be an encouragement. He was determined not to see Mark fail. So he made up his mind to, to get alongside him and speak the truth in love, to remind him who Christ is and what he's done and to help him stand firm. I mean, wouldn't you love for Luke to have gone with them and so we could have an insight into the conversation Barnabas had with Mark as they made their way to Cyprus? And history tells us that his effort bore fruit. Mark learned to stand firm. Went on to write the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Became a vital and effective part of the spreading of the Gospel. So that even Paul will later say, send Mark to me. Because he's useful to the ministry. Well, that happened, humanly speaking. The Holy Spirit, of course, doing this, guiding this. Because, Mark, because Barnabas was the kind of man who was looking for ways to encourage and build up his brother. He was intentional about it. Again, are you intentional about it? Are you looking for ways to encourage others? When we gather for fellowship, are you looking for the one who needs encouragement? Are you, are you wondering, I wonder where so-and-so is? I think I'll give him a call. Second, in our encouragement, we must be provocative, not passive. In our encouragement. Look at verse 24. Um, Well, thank you, wind. There we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This word stir up, uh, as in stir up one another, is is a really strong and interesting word. In fact, it means to to provoke someone, right? To, 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 To get them riled. Uh, to, to stir things up with somebody. In fact, this word is only found two places in the New Testament. It's found here, and it's found in that story I just read about Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. When it says in Acts 15.39, there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It's the same word. Barnabas' action of wanting to take Mark along provoked Paul to anger. It stirred him up. That's the negative use of this word. Provoke to anger. 
Here we have the positive use of this word. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now think about that. Think about what that must look like. See, I know what it means to provoke somebody to anger. If I want to provoke Warren to anger, I get in his face. Right? I, 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 I call him names. I talk about his mother. Right? That's going to provoke him to anger. So what does it mean to provoke someone to love and good deeds? I think it's going to be a lot the same. Get in his face. You remind him of who he is in Jesus. You talk about his faithful Savior. His calling to serve. Maybe walk beside him for a little bit and say, Hey brother, let's go do this together. Let's go show love to, to this friend over here. Let me, let, me, let me show you how to love your wife or, or work your job for the glory of God. Let, let's, go, let's go serve this neighbor. I mean, think about it. Do you, do you provoke people to love and good works? <laughs> Are you a provocative presence for good? Or, or what effect are you having on others? This word stir up can also mean to incite, as in to incite someone to violence or incite someone to a riot. This group called Antifa uh, has made a name for itself by inciting people to violence and inciting riots, you know, stirring people up to do evil. Our calling as Christians is to stir people up to do love. <laughs> to incite people to run out and do good for the glory of God. And you know, we ought to be as zealous to stir each other up for love and good deeds as they are to stir people up to do violence. And again, it takes effort. It takes intentionality. We have to have this on our minds and in our hearts. I mean, they do. Their thought is, how can I go make trouble? Our thought needs to be, how can I go make love and good deeds? (laughs) Lord, help me today. Lead my brother into a deeper love for you. Help Help my brother love his wife more. Help me help my sister serve Christ more faithfully through the words that I speak and the example that I give and the things that I do. I mean, guys, I really want to be more like this. I really do. The people I admire most are the people I see doing this a lot. (laughs) Which brings me to the third and final thing then. To do this, then we have to come together. We must be present with one another to encourage each other like this. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, why do you think he says that here? Well, I think he says that here because, well, first of all, we know historically that the church was under persecution and these Hebrew Christians were, were very much tempted not to come to any place with other Christians because they might identify them as Christians and get them in trouble. So there was a personal thing going on. But I think he also writes this because none of the things he's talking about here can happen if we're not together on a regular basis. I mean, a bare minimum weekly as we gather for worship, I mean, that's probably what he has in mind here, the regular gathering of the church based on the words that he uses, but that, but that doesn't rule out the other times we're together, D groups, Bible studies, fellowship, friendships, etc. But, but the point is, there has got to be some together time 
to do the kinds of encouraging he's talking about here. Think about it. You can't stir a pot from the next room. In the same way, you can't stir up a brother or sister to love and good deeds from the other side of the county. There's got to be some face time. Or, or think about the meaning of encouragement. To call someone to your side. You can't put your arm around a brother or sister from 15 miles away. And so there's going to have to be some effort to not be 15 miles away. It takes physical proximity. It takes relational intimacy. It takes emotional availability. Been a lot of talk in this past year about the place of internet church and and meeting online uh, by Zoom rather than face to face and 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 there's a time and place for that on a very limited basis. I think of Miss Doris. I wish we could set it up for her when she can't come that she could be present in at least that way. And so there, there's a limited there's a limited place and and for a short time when necessary. But we've said all along that live stream church is third best at best. It's something to use when absolutely necessary and for a short time only, but come on, it's not real church. Uh, to be real church, we've got to be in the real presence of one another, we, w- w- where we can get to know each other, where we can, we can see one another, where we can use our gifts to serve one another and help each other and provoke and encourage one another, as he says here. And so notice He commands us to meet together in order to be an encouragement to one another. And a a vital part of our meeting together is the encouragement. In fact, notice how He puts these two things at odds in verse 25. I just noticed this earlier this week. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. He puts in opposition, not meeting and encouraging. Uh, the, the assumption I make from the way he puts this is, if you're not meeting, you're not encouraging. If you're going to encourage, you need to meet. And In fact, the word that he uses here uh, pictures just that, that gathering together as believers in, in one body. Uh, it, it's the ministry of presence. Think about this. Do you, do you realize that, did you know that your presence on any given Sunday morning is an encouragement to your brothers and sisters that are there. I mean, there's more that you can do than just be present, but just being present is an encouragement. By adding your voice to ours as we sing these songs and say these confessions, you're encouraging these friends to keep on keeping on. Isn't that right? You ever been... You know, I, I remember Amy and I were looking for a church to serve during seminary, and we went to this little poor dying church. And, it, and, and, and there are churches, it's time to say, close the doors, lock it, because it's a building and, a, and, and five people are meeting here. And, and, and there's no, not even fellowship. We went to this little church, and there were two old ladies and the old deacon and my family. And, you know, we sang good songs, and I preached my heart out. And I walked away so discouraged from that little place because they came and they left. There was no fellowship. There was no meeting together. It was just a, you know. And then I've been in those places in those churches and, and, and many Sundays at Rockport when you are singing your guts out. And I just thank Lord, this I'm so encouraged 
Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is sitting behind me and they're singing loud. And I can tell, Lord, that, 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 that they mean the words. And Lord, we could stop now and I'm encouraged. Your presence is an encouragement. Your presence isn't all we need, but it's the bare minimum of what we need. If you take your voice away, we are less encouraged. We need you. We need your voice with ours week after week. Not only that, we need your gifts. So there is more. The Bible says each one of us has spiritual gifts to use for the benefit of the body. Uh, Jeff talked about that a little bit. And so when you choose to not gather with us, in, in a real way, you're robbing us of the gifts God has given you for us. And that's why Paul is so forceful here. He says, don't abandon the gathering together like some are doing. Don't rob these friends of what God can do through you, through your gifts, through your voice, through your presence. Instead, be, be faithful together. Be, be present so that you can be involved in their lives. Use your presence purposefully, joyfully, persistently to, to help us see Christ better and grow in His grace a little more this week. Someone said, as I was coming down here, I've really enjoyed this. I don't really want to go home. And, you know, for the kids, it's, it's yeah, because it's fun and everything. But there's also that sense of we're connected. It's, you know, it's wonderful. I can step outside my, 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 my room here, and there's Rob right there. I can walk up to the fire, and we can talk. I mean, otherwise, I'm, you know, I don't hardly see Rob. This is our calling together as Christ's church. This is why you matter and your presence matters with us. I was thinking about this in a, in a conversation I had with, with a brother some time ago. And um, he told me, he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just not getting anything out of the service these days. And I thought about that and, okay, okay maybe, maybe that was true. But I do think the better question would have been, yeah, but what are you bringing for others when you're coming? <laughs> what encouragement are you bringing? What gifts... Has God given you to be shared? How could He use you to encourage and strengthen these brothers and sisters around you, even if it is true that you're not getting anything, which, which honestly I doubt. I mean, honestly, when the, when the Word is preached, when the Word is sung, when the Word is prayed, if you're a believer, you're getting something out of that. Right, I've, I've been. To, I, won't main, I won't mention the church. I've been to a little church. About twice a year I go there. It has to do with... Um, um, well, I'll leave that. I go through it twice a year. And um, there have been times that the, that the preaching, the songs have been hard to wade through and the preaching has been lackluster. I'll just leave it at that. And yet I've learned to go in there and say, Lord, where your gospel exists and where the word is proclaimed, let my heart be encouraged and let me encourage someone. And since I began doing that intentionally, it's changed a lot in my experience when I go to this particular place. I don't think they've changed that much. I think it's changed my perspective that Christ is present. Not neglecting to meet together is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, the day, what day? The day of Christ's return when all this junk won't even matter anymore. When faith will be sight and the dead in Christ will rise and we'll meet together in the air that day 
What a day. But until that day, let's be intentional about encouraging one another to hold fast and keep going until Christ returns. That's what He's called us to. Lord Jesus, every one of us here in this room have both seen the joy of being able to encourage someone because You're so gracious. Some in this room do it quite well. Lord, others of us perhaps need Your help to grow up in this and to to be more intentional in it, to learn what it means. And so, Lord Jesus, I'm asking for the application of this message this morning that You, Holy Spirit, will speak that one or two things that every believer in this room needs to have heard and now needs to apply. And you know, Lord, I'm so happy that I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm so happy that it's not my job right now to tell this brother or that brother, this is the thing I want you to hear. But you are the Lord of this brother or sister. And me too, me too. Show us what we need. Help us apply it. And Lord, for the ones in this room, whether young or older, who going back to that beginning point of encouragement on the gospel of Christ, don't have that encouragement because they don't know you. I ask right now that you would open their eyes to see that all of this can be theirs through faith in Christ. Give faith. In Jesus we pray. Amen.